After all of the think pieces on what is Lane Kiffin doing, I finally think I have a grasp on what the ultimate goal is for 2024. Anyway, we'll tell you. You are locked on Ole Miss. Your daily podcast on the Ole Miss Rebels. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. Give us a subscribe there. And I do want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash college, and when you enter promo code college, all one word, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order. That is pretty cool. Hi, I'm Stephen Willis. This is the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. I have figured out the ultimate goal for Lane Kiffin in this recruiting cycle. Finally, I, I did it. And that is he is trying to recreate the wide receiver unit of the 2019 Alabama team on this team. And he wants to do it in state. I'll, let me show you what I'm talking about here. This is the Mississippi top seven um, so far on the list. You can see that it's led by Camarion Franklin and Jamonte Waller. But there's J.J. Harrell. And we're going to talk about him a little bit more in the second segment but he's the own three number one prospect in the state of Mississippi. He just decommitted from Tennessee. But if you look down the list of who's in, you got um, can, um, Jimothy, I cannot read that, um, Jimothy Lewis, Jeffrey Rush, which is already committed to Ole Miss, and Cameron Beavers, who's already committed to Ole Miss. So six. Players on that list, two of them have already committed to Ole Miss. One is already re- rumored to be coming soon to Ole Miss as well. Now, the one thing you do not notice on this list is that there's no Mississippi State anywhere. It's either Ole Miss or an out-of-state team on their recruit prediction machine whenever you put out to the right of the pro. That's the top six players in the state, and I can't remember another year where Mississippi State was this I don't want to say inept because there's always a surprise when it comes to Mississippi State. Whenever they decide to put their claws into somebody, they can get them. And you can see them starting to grow. And even though this isn't technically a transition class, it's kind of a transition class for them. But if you look at over here in the second half, Mississippi State will make an appearance, but it's down at like 13th or 14th. And these are all the four-star players for the 2024 class in the state of Mississippi. And that's interesting to me. Uh, there's, there's no real way to get around that. It, it, it's, it's an interesting setup that they have. So, it's, it's interesting. That, that, that's the best way that I can put this. It's interesting of what's going on in the state of Mississippi right now. Because if you look at these things, you know, Cam Franklin, Jamonte Waller, those both is Ole Miss and Tennessee and Ole Miss and Auburn listed. J.J. Harrell just committed from Tennessee. Cameron Beavers, Ole Miss commit. Jimothy Lewis, Ole Miss and Georgia. Jeffrey Rush, Ole Miss commit. Daniel Hill, who was once Mississippi State was on the list, now all of a sudden it's Alabama and South Carolina. The only thing we seem to know for sure with Daniel Hill is he's not going to Ole Miss. You got Braylon Burnside, 
who's listing Ole Miss and Arkansas at the moment, and a real white who is currently an Arkansas commit that Ole Miss is trying desperately to flip. And um, Kanan um, Daniels, who's actually from West Point. I think he's a Florida commit, it looks like. Um, Julius Pope, Arkansas commit from South Panola. Zyron Brown, Missouri or Tulane. Terrence Hibbler, the first Mississippi State commit at number 13. Caleb Moore, Mississippi State's heavily involved. P.J. Woodland, Mississippi State's heavily involved. Okay. We're going to tell you exactly what I mean by Lane Kiffin's prediction over the next two segments, but I've kind of wandered into a little different take in the middle of this segment, and that is, does Mississippi State have NIL money? Because I don't know what's going on, and and, and Ole Miss fans should not discount them entirely, okay? But... Whenever they just pop up that low on a list, that looks like there's not any NIL money. Is there not NIL money, at least competitively, with out-of-state schools and Ole Miss? It's an interesting question, and it's something that they're going to have to try and overcome between now and December, because once signing day happens, it happens, Um, but... Topping out at number 13 is not a good look on the on-three consensus rankings. Ole Miss also has commitments from Chris Davis and um, Jeremy Scott and Patrick Broomfield as well. There's a lot of work happening inside the state. Now, I think Lane Kiffin, whenever Lane Kiffin did the Auburn thing last year, okay, when he did that and Ole Miss fans absolutely rallied to the NIL fund, and took it from a couple of million dollars all the way up over $10 million. And honestly, it may be approaching 15 at the moment. We'll have to you know, check with Walker on the total amount of it. But the NIL fund became extremely competitive because if you remember correctly, Lane Kiffin was asking for six before the season started. It's like, hey, his mind, the NIL fund needed $6 million for a recruiting class that was good. And we almost tripled that. You know, estimating. If they were at $10 million on December 10th, they're probably at 15 now, honestly. And a lot of people thought, okay, we're going to get into the transfer portal and bring players in and do all the stuff that we need to do, okay? But it doesn't look like that's happening. It looks like Lane Kiffin's decision to invest that money was in the Mississippi high school recruiting class that was coming up. And Ole Miss is investing. Ole Miss is doing whatever it needs to do. And they're going to throw that money around to try and get kids that already have ties um, and are nearby regionally to Ole Miss, to Ole Miss. And at the wide receiver position, if you remember 2019, Alabama, whenever um, Alabama was thrown around with Tua in 2019, they had Jerry Judy, um, Devontae Smith, um, Waddle, and... Um, the kid in Oakland, they got in trouble. I, f- I forget his name. But they could play. That They were extremely talented four. You remember everybody was making comments of how they play paper, rock, scissors to who see who gets to play. And Lane Kiffin recruited that group to Alabama. That, that's the reason I'm bringing this up. They recruited that group to Alabama. He's going to bring in his two-alike quarterback and Devon Williams, because Devon Williams has a chance to be a special, special dude. 
you have bigger players um, like Jeremy Scott and, or Caleb Odom that are coming through that could fill that role as a bigger wide receiver. Braylon Burnside is a bigger wide receiver. Jeremy Scott is a bigger wide receiver. You have little guys like Rajay Dennis, who honestly is a Jalen Waddle-type wide receiver as far as speed goes. He's electric. He flies. If you look at his video on Huddle, you can absolutely see that. Um, J.J. Harrell, honestly, Devontae Smith-type wide receiver. Braylon Burnside, Jerry Judy-type wide receiver. You can see how this goes and why Ole Miss is putting them together. Nareel White, another extremely good wide receiver, and I think Ole Miss is going to shoot their shot with all three of them. And it's just important to realize you can kind of see where they have NIL money earmarked. And it's why they didn't overpay with Keon Coleman. When Keon Coleman came back with a demand that was higher than they were willing to go, they were like, see you. Because this 2024 class was more important than the transfer class in 2023, in their opinion. And now that players are getting on the field earlier, if they can play, if, it's, if there's any doubt that they can play, they're going to get on the field because if you don't, they're going to transfer. So with it being younger, you have a chance to get them for multiple years. And that's the reason, in my opinion, that Trey Harris came in as a one-year stopgap. That is the reason that um, um, Zachary Franklin came in as a one-year stopgap. That's the reason, honestly, I'm excited that Aiden Williams gets to sit back and see what's going on because he has a chance to be the Jerry Judy of this wide receiver room. And if you look at what was recruited by Lane Kiffin to Alabama, Lane Kiffin is attempting, I'm not saying he's going to do it, it's going to be a hard fight, attempting to do the same thing at Ole Miss. He's got players that have the chops to be extremely special college football players in the state of Mississippi, in his backyard. He's got the money to spend on them so they're not going off to a bigger school, Texas A&M, and coming through and making Mississippi a minor league state because Ole Miss has the money to compete at a certain level. He's got a quarterback that has a chance to be dynamic. Think Tua, honestly. Think Bryce Young, that type of guy. He's got running backs. Quinshawn's going to be back next year. And then if you look at, like, Keiser Criscano, if you look at um, the Lacey kid out of Texas, out of Lancaster, Texas, they have a type, and they're recruiting a certain type player, and the talent on the offense is just going to get better and better and better and better. And we'll see exactly what happens, but they have a chance to be pretty special moving forward. And it kind of starts with that wide receiver unit, which has a chance to be absolutely electric because they all complement each other. You've got Aiden Williams, who's at Ole Miss right now, okay? you got Aiden Williams, who's at Ole Miss right now. And he is a Jerry Judy, a leader. He's going to be the person who leads that room going forward, but also is an all-around superb wide receiver. Great hands, great route running. You've got J.J. Harrell, who honestly just, he looks like a Devontae Smith-type receiver. Whenever you watch his film at North Panola, it's unbelievably impressive. There's a reason on three ranked him number one in the state of Mississippi. And then you've got like Raji Dennis, who's an absolute burner, who has a chance to be special and pop out of nowhere like um, Jalen Waddle kind of did. It's going to be really 
interesting what Ole Miss will do moving forward. And I'm, I'm pretty, pretty fired up about that. Anyway, I do want to let you know, we're going to keep talking about wide receivers in the second segment, specifically J.J. Harrell, but I do want to let you know that today's show is sponsored by Bird Dogs. That's right, they're back. We thought they were here until the end of May. They came back. Now, most everybody knows about my situation. Half my balance got cut out whenever I had brain tumor surgery in 2019. I have to walk multiple times a day or I get wobbly. Um, seriously, I go around a corner and fall down if I don't walk enough. It, it's just really important. You have to train the balance on the other side. Well, everybody talks about a shotgun being a self-teaching tool. Well, if you try and walk that much in a pair of shorts that are not made for it, it's not comfortable, that's also a self-teaching um, tool. And bird dogs have shorts that are flexible fabric. They have liners. They, they're just really, really good. And People shouldn't overlook them. You go out for your walk. You do what you need to do. They're sturdy. They're, they get pockets everywhere. There's four pockets, but it doesn't look like it. They're stylish. They look good. The liners are comfortable. Really, really nice. And if you go to birddogs.com slash college and enter promo code LockedOnCollege for a free Yeti-style tumbler for your order. That's right. A free Yeti-style um, tumbler. That's birddog.com slash college for a free Yeti-style tumbler. That's promo code LockedOnCollege. That's all one word. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you, and I guarantee you, if you take advantage of this, you'll be in the comment telling me how right I was. Seriously. Absolutely amazing. I'm a huge fan of bird dogs. You'll see. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, thanks again for making the Locked On Ole Miss Podcast your first listen every day. Every day is tomorrow on the show. We're going to have Mike Huseman talking about a transfer portal recap. Mike says that he's not hearing Ole Miss's name in the transfer portal circuit, so it, they may be done, honestly. Something good pop. Something could surprise us, but it kind of sounds like it's kind of wound down and kind of they are what they are. They're concentrating on 2024 recruiting, it looks like, at the moment. So, with J.J. Harrell, he just decommitted to Tennessee, which is important. J.J. Harrell, like I said, is the on-three number one player in the state, so they're going to make a big deal out of it. This is an on-three graphic from Sam Spiegelman, who seems to be fairly all over what's going on in this situation. Like Spam, uh, Sam, he's um, really good. Genu generally knows what he's talking about. I have no complaints with him. And J.J. Harrell decommitting from Tennessee. Now, it was a weird situation. If you listen to other podcasts and other shows and everything, they, they, they've told the story about how Ole Miss really ramped up its recruitment of J.J. Henry just as he was committing to Tennessee. And apparently they never stopped recruiting. 
and at this point he's decommitted. And it's led to the other side of this, and that is where Sam Spiegelman and Zach Barry, Zach Barry's a local Ole Miss spirit guy, but Sam Spiegelman is a national guy. Those are the ones I genuinely pay attention to on these. Has RPM, that's their version of the crystal ball, J.J. Harrell to Ole Miss. Now, here's the one thing that you need to be wary of, all right? Mississippi State needs to make a splash. And we went over the whole first segment about how down Mississippi State has been in this recruiting cycle. They are going to get one player. There might be players that want to go out of state, but things seem to be trending to the good guys with J.J. Harrell. Now you have other Ole Miss recruits today that are tweeting out, hey, come to the SIP and all that. Um, but we'll see exactly how it it goes. J.J. Harrell's a, just a really good football player, and he would benefit Ole Miss pretty spectacularly um, for the for the team that has become wide receiver U, at least in the state of Mississippi, if not the whole SEC. It, it, it's quite impressive. So we'll see exactly what happens with J.J. in the coming days and week. We're in the middle of camp and visit seasons. We'll see who pops up on campus this weekend. We'll have Brian Smith on Saturday. We'll have Mike Huseman um, tomorrow. And then we'll also have like Tom Vanderford, Kara, um, those people as well. We'll have them up for the weekend just as you are used to. So it should be a lot of fun anyway. I'm, I'm pretty fired up about everything that is going on. And we'll see exactly what happens. Anyway, when we come back, we will have John Macon Gillespie. Um, of the Grove Report, here to talk Ole Miss football schedule, 8-9's game schedule, and of course, um, some other stuff. We'll just go back, shoot it back and forth a little bit. Big weekend to go. Big news on J.J. Harrell. I showed you why they're trying to get J.J. at Ole Miss and what they're, original, they're trying to think of, like that, that Alabama four at wide receiver. That is what they're trying to recreate. Anyway, stick around. Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. Do us a favor, subscribe to YouTube, hit the bell for notifications, comment, upvote as well. We'd appreciate it. Join our subtext community. The link for that is in the description as well. I'm Stephen Willis. This is the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. I'm here with John Macon Gillespie of the Grove Report. We're going to talk a little Ole Miss sports because we like talking Ole Miss sports, and we hope you like hearing about Ole Miss sports. How you doing, John? I'm doing good. How are you, Stephen? I'm doing quite well. I spent last week campaigning and railing over the potential one permanent rival. And the 8-9 game, we haven't talked to you since that started. What are your, what's your opinion on the 8-9 or nine game schedule that they had? I think you and I kind of see this the same way. Um, the 8-9 the, the or nine game schedule on the surface doesn't necessarily matter to me but I do think that there are they call them secondary rivalries you know these these second rivalry games that I think in the conference need to be protected I mean in in Ole Miss's case it would be LSU um and you and I I think are on the same page there that there's a lot of history there um spanning decades and decades that um you know, doesn't doesn't need to be lost. I mean, that, that needs to stay an annual matchup. But then you also have, um, you know, like Auburn and Georgia. I mean, that that could be a game that could be could be axed. Um, you know, a bunch of different games like that. And, you know, I 
I'm afraid that we're moving away from that in the Southeastern Conference, um, which as a traditionalist in a lot of respects when it comes to college football, I don't like that because, you know, there, there are bigger rivalries. I mean, there are other rivalries in, in the conference other than the Egg Bowl, other than the Iron Bowl. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's things like that that I think need to be protected that help make the conference and the sport what it is. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm worried that we may be moving away from that. Yeah, I just don't want LSU to become, for Ole Miss fans, what Tennessee has become. Because if you're my age or older, you do not like Tennessee. That, that game meant something to you because you played every year until Arkansas and South Carolina came into the conference. And then you've played them like three or four times since then. And that game has just become another football game. But that LSU game, that, that is the crystal ball. If we want to look in the future, that's what that game will look like if we allow them to get rid of it to even where it's an every other year type situation. If it means just as much when we play LSU as it does when we play South Carolina, that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, and one, for geographical proximity, but two, the history of the rivalry, right? Because, I mean, this is even before our time, but I'm talking like Johnny Vault era stuff those those games were they, they meant something on a national scale um pretty much year in and year out and then you know that kind of i don't know if hatred is the right word that that rivalry though um stayed intact even even with that animosity through you know today and 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 that that game may mean more to Ole Miss fans than it does to LSU I mean I, I don't necessarily know that but um I do think that it's it's a traditional game. It's a game that I think everyone looks forward to um, every year just because of the fan bases and, you know, the tailgating scenes and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's something that I think really needs to be held on to. Um, and obviously we're talking about Ole Miss here, but I think pretty much every other school in the conference is in the same boat. I mean, you know, with, with some other rival other than their, their one on Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, if South Carolina, for instance, lost Georgia, which has, that's a secondary game. They wouldn't have an SEC rival. Was that Missouri game, the Kentucky game? I mean, they're in a weird, precarious situation to where secondary rivalries would kind of put them on an island a little bit. But I will say this about LSU. You mentioned you don't know if um, LSU views Ole Miss as a rival. They love to say they don't, obviously. But every time Ole Miss is good and we win the game and they beat Ole Miss in Tiger Stadium, they storm the field. So, one side does not kind of correlate to the other on that one. You can talk all the all you want about how that doesn't matter. Then don't storm the field um, in a situation like that. So yeah. let's change the subject real quick. Um, over on the right side, there's a list of headlines that are up on the Grove Report right now. You can check out a Mercer preview. But the second one I'm interested in, you're starting to see some Heisman buzz hit up nationally on Quinshawn Judkins. Now, he is, in my opinion, he is the best running back in the country. Blake Corum is coming off an injury. He's the only one that you could probably whisper in the same breath about those two, maybe Rocket Sanders. But a running back Heisman candidate, this isn't 1997. Do you think that Quinshawn actually has a chance to win that award? I think he would have to be, he would have to have an ungodly season, I think, mm-hmm. because. The Heisman has turned in, like like you said, this isn't the '90s. The Heisman has turned into a quarterback award, um, for the most part. I mean, I, I think it would be kind of foolish to say otherwise. But 
I mean, technically anybody can win it, obviously, but yeah, the the quarterbacks in today's game, you know, they they get the headlines and they, you know, in, in the in the modern style of offense, I mean, they they run the show. Um, so I think it would be very difficult for him to do it. Now, does that mean he won't have a Heisman worthy season? No. I think he could definitely have a Heisman worthy season, but I think it would take it would take something incredibly special for him or another running back maybe um, to win it just because of the nature of the Heisman Trophy now. What what, what is it, um, Johnny Carson used to do? Was that Karnak? Was that the name with the envelope where he, yeah. Like, yeah, he did that? You know, whenever I look in the crystal ball and it's like, hey, you know, the, the envelope question would be like, what type of season would Ole Miss's offense have? I honestly think Quinshawn's going to be somewhere around 11 or 1,200 yards. Statistically, it's going to look like it's a lesser year, but from what he's going to be asked to do, he might have a more effective season. He might be more of a weapon than he was last year. And the wide receivers on the outside, this offense has a chance to be – I've done two or three pro, um, podcasts on it at this point – has a chance to be with the most explosive offense in school history and be up there in SEC history. Now they have to execute, but the pieces are in place. Yeah, and I mean Judkins is a very large part of that, right? I mean, and just because just because he doesn't hit maybe fifteen hundred yards or whatever the mark he is doesn't mean, like you said, he doesn't have an effective season or a more effective season than he had a year ago. Um, just because of the pieces in place and the way the offense will be structured. Yeah. It should be very, very interesting. Now, when you look at the two wide receivers, now we have two out of the three first-team Conference USA all-conference players from a year ago in Zachary Franklin and Trey Harris. They are both contested receiver um, catches receivers. They are nearly 50%, both of them, on contested catches, which is absolutely unheard of. Now, I did a show yesterday on how Zachary Franklin actually helps Jackson Dart. And th- this is my point. They-, they are ball winners. These are two type players that when Jackson throws the ball over the middle, maybe his confidence goes up just a little bit, but you can, com- you can count on those guys to go up and get the football. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I-, I think that's definitely the case because I think the talk at times, you know, it- with-, with the wide receiver room is, you know, yes, who can separate, but yes, who can go up and get the ball, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that you've talked a lot about um, – Jackson's use of the middle of the field and having guys like that who can make those 50 50 catches um I mean that from a quarterback perspective that's a positive right because that is going to give you more confidence to distribute the ball over the middle of the field or wherever they may be um so yeah I I think that's that's totally accurate um and I thought that was a really good spin not necessarily spin but I thought that was a really good angle that you took on that with okay how does Franklin's commitment impact Jackson Dart and the quarterback competition you know that's because I think a lot of people will look at it as okay cool a good wide receiver but they don't think of it as okay how does this help the quarterback actually um so I thought that was a good angle yeah in in my opinion Lane Kiffin and bringing Trey Harris in and bringing Zachary Franklin in and in in my mind I think he did that for Jackson he needed to get to where he needed to be. And, and you couldn't necessarily get Jackson over a certain level in the middle of the field, or maybe there was some kind of mental block. There had to be some special brought in from the outside. And then you have the Caden Priestcorn, and you have um, Michael Trigg, which I honestly, I don't know about, I'm going to ask you about this one too, because it's been a while since we talked. 
Um, I think yeah. Ole Miss is going to run a little bit of 12 personnel this year, and you're going to see Michael Trigg line up where a slot receiver normally would. Yeah. No, I, I think uh, I, I think that that's probably a good assumption. Um, obviously, I'm not in the team meetings or coaching meetings or anything like that, but um, just the way the roster sets up right now, I mean, get get your best guys on the field. Kind of, I mean, that's a very simple mentality, but um, – yeah, I mean, line, line him up, line him up there, and uh, because with him and Prescorn, you know, on, on the roster, I, I think that's something that some people may overlook a little bit coming into the year. That that could be that could be pretty impactful. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's that's a pretty good uh, pretty good assumption on your part. Yeah, with um, Priestcorn, you have Trigg, and you're doing 12 personnel, but you also have the running back that is obviously, we saw in the spring game, is going to be a receiving threat this year. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be doing things within their scheme that's a little bit different, so I'm pretty fired up about that. Anyway, thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. Every day is tomorrow on the show. Mike Huseman is going to come on and give us his expert transfer portal recap on Ole Miss's class. Um, he, he's the transfer portal czar. He's here to talk about all about that. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow. John, thank you very much for stopping by, man. It's always a good time. Always a pleasure, Stephen. Thank you. All right. Take care, bud.